Welcome to the Cello Sherpa Podcast, where we explore all aspects of the climb to the summit from intermediate musician to the professional stage. Check us out online at thecellosherpa.com or follow us on Instagram or threads at thecellosherpa. I'm Joel Dallow, your host. I joined the cello section of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra in 1999 and founded the Riverside Chamber Players based in Roswell, Georgia in 2003. If you're looking for a bit of extra help on learning your orchestra or solo repertoire, perhaps we can help. Visit www.thecellosherpa.com and drop us a line. We offer virtual or in-person lessons. Today's episode is sponsored by Clear Resources, your premier resource for compliance, legal, ethics, and risk. For more information, visit them online at clearresources.com. Today's guest is cellist Ray Kim, who's a native of Seoul, South Korea, and made his debut with the Seoul Royal Symphony Orchestra at the age of 14. Ray is one of three new cellists who've joined the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra at the start of this season. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Thank you for having me, Joel. So let's talk about this debut that you made at 14. How did that come about? I think I would say I was pretty lucky. Because we had a family friend who was a pretty well-known figure in the music industry in South Korea. And his daughter is actually a really well-known soloist in Europe. She won a bunch of competitions and she is one of those rock star violinists right now. But he recognized that I had some sort of talent and he thought it'd be a nice gesture to give me an opportunity to play with a soloist and help with my career. Oh, that's great. So it was who you knew. Well, I guess, yeah, you can put it that way. But a lot of it, you have to be a nice person. You have to be ready when the opportunity comes to you, right? So, Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm really just joking with you a little bit. But it is true that sometimes who you know can really open doors. And so I think the lesson here is it's important to foster relationships with people and understand how to communicate with people so that those opportunities can present themselves. And you played the Haydn C major cello concerto? That is correct. Did you play the whole thing or just a movement? Yes, I played the whole thing. And when I showed up to the first rehearsal and, oh, I thought we we're just doing the last movement. So they started playing the last movement. And obviously I was 14. So I guess this is what we're doing, even though I prepared the whole thing. And uh-huh. my teacher <laughs> stops me in the middle of it. And then, you know, talks to the conductor. It's like, hey, are we doing the whole thing for the whole concerto? And then oh, obviously there was some sort of miscommunication and I ended up yeah. playing the whole thing. <laughs> And how did that performance go, would you say? You know, I don't really remember, honestly, that much of it, but I messed up big time during one of the rehearsals and I had a memory slip. And I think that was a lesson learned that I definitely had to prepare more just in case anything happens during the concert. I mean, you just never know, right? Yeah. But in my defense, I think I was still young. I had no idea what was going on. I just showed up. I went to the stage and just played a little concerto. And that's the only memory I have of it. <laughs> Yeah. And did you decide to use the music after having a memory slip or you just decided you would figure out how to get over that and move forward? It's weird. I don't think I have this photo memory thing people have. Some people do, but Mm -hmm. certain things, especially memorization is one of the things that comes to me very naturally. So I I almost still never had to deal with a memory slip. So I think I knew that I could trust myself and you know, like move on. I mean, what's the worst case that could possibly happen when you're 14, right? If, If you miss them, you know, entrance, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's true. So you had the opportunity to come to the Atlanta area in high school and study with our acting principal cellist, Danny Laufer, and play in our youth symphony. So I would say that winning a position in the Atlanta symphony is really a coming home of sorts for you. How did the opportunity to come to Atlanta in high school happen for you? Well, frankly speaking, I originally came to the States not to pursue a career in music. Oh, okay. And obviously, I was pretty serious about cello and wanted to be a professional musician as a young student living in Korea. But I think I was just getting sick of the competitive nature of music industry in South Korea. Mm-hmm. So I quit when I was 15, and I asked my parents if I could go abroad and study a different language, culture, and explore the world. And we had a family friend who lived in Marietta back then, so it made sense for me to come to Georgia initially. Wow. So you get your debut with an orchestra, and then a year later, you quit playing the cello completely? <laughs> completely, yes. Wow. And then so you came to Atlanta, you had a family friend, and this was your idea. You just told your parents, hey, I, I want to go to America? Yes. You know, looking back, if I were parents, I don't think I would let that happen that easily. <laughs> I mean, you're sending a 15-year-old kid to a different country without having an idea of what it's like at all. Wow, and what a dedicated family friend to be willing to put you up through high school. And so did your parents move to Georgia at that time too, or did they stay in South Korea? They ended up coming to Georgia. A couple of years later, I initially made a move to Georgia, and they Mm -hmm. tried to start a business down in Statesboro. It's nearby Savannah, but I would say four-hour drive from Atlanta. But things didn't go as planned, so they ended up going back. But originally, they wanted to stay here and immigrate. Oh, okay. But didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine leaving everything behind and coming to another country, trying to start over. There's so many challenges for that. So how did you end up then picking up the cello again if you had decided to quit? I was still very much involved with school's orchestra program. And I was also part of the chapel band playing the electric bass guitar. So I still played cello here and there. And obviously, you can imagine I had to play cello in the chapel band as well, time to time. Yeah. My second year of high school, I ended up staying with my band director's family because she majored in piano performance. We played a lot of music at home. And okay, she thought it was sort of a waste of talent not to be playing with a local youth symphony. So she contacted the Georgia Symphony Youth Orchestra. I think it was called back then Cop Symphony Youth Orchestra. Okay, yeah. So they were nice enough to have me come audition for their program in mid-year. But it was not until my junior year that I began to think that I wanted to take cello seriously again. So I asked a friend of mine who was in the Youth Symphony and asked for his teacher's contact info. And that's how I got into Danny's studio during the winter of my junior year. Wow, the winter of your junior year. Okay, Can you talk about at all what that was like to just relocate to another country you weren't familiar with? Were you already studying English in Korea before you got here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, we have to take English courses and throughout middle school, but very little talking. So that's something I've been preparing maybe about a year, maybe a little less than a year, just being able to try to speak and have a conversation with the foreigner, right? So that's the most I think I could have done. And obviously taking classes and being able to understand what the teacher is saying in the lecture was very, very challenging. I'm not going to lie. It took me about two years to get an idea of, okay, I'm not nervous anymore. Mm -hmm. Especially when I'm driving, even at 17, my junior year, I try to go do a drive-through. 
I still had a fear of like ordering stuff, but we're like picking up the phone call. Like, cause sometimes I just have no idea what the person is saying over the microphone. <laughs> yeah. And did you get to see your family enough because they had relocated or at that point they hadn't gotten here yet? I mean, I can't imagine at 15 years old, leaving not just your country, but leaving your family behind what that must've been like emotionally for you. I almost saw that as an outlet. Cause you know, when you're 15 or 16, you're basically going through puberty and, you just want to be more individualistic and on your own. So yeah. I think they wanted to see me and have me down actually live with them or buy them in Savannah for my high school. But I ended up not actually going because I already made a group of friends up in Marietta area and I was still doing orchestra. It just didn't make sense for me to relocate again. Yeah. So then in your junior year, is that when you decided, you know what? I think I want to give music a shot. Yeah, frankly speaking, <laughs> one of my friends at the time in the youth orchestra just had gone into IU, Indiana University, Jacobs School of Music. And I knew he was a good cellist, but I knew I could sort of compete with them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So that gave me an idea of where I am. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So you made this decision sort of late. And then where did you end up attending school after that? I went to Cleveland Institute of Music for undergrad. And went to Eastman, School of Music for my master's, and eventually University of Texas at Austin for my DMA degree. Okay. And then you went through two conservatories. What prompted you to decide to go to a university for your DMA? Honestly, it's a friend of mine who is a conductor and a violinist suggests that I go study with Beyond mm -hmm. Sang at UT, then just polish my playing and take auditions. And that's all it took. Ah, well, if anybody wants to check it out, we actually interviewed your teacher, Beyond, back a few months ago as a great opportunity to speak with him. He made his debut when he was 11, so we had a really interesting conversation about what that was like. So after you're working through your three degrees, at what point did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to pursue an orchestra job? I think it was not until actually halfway through my DMA program. Okay. Obviously, I don't know, people know, but... As a Korean citizen, you actually, as a male, you have to serve in the army for 18 months. So I knew I had to establish some sort of a career in the States in order for me not to go back and serve in the army. You know, I would always be afraid of not being able to touch my cello for yeah. 18 months or whatever, right? And I feel like that would seriously affect my cello playing. Yeah. So I was trying to land whatever. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I ended up going for a DMA as opposed to artist diploma. So I could potentially teach at a higher ed. But my friend who was at the time playing with the Nashville Symphony told me that there is a principal audition coming up. So you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. So I gave myself about six months to prepare for it. That was my first audition. Okay. And then what happened? I didn't win, but I was actually one of the finalists for the principal. And <laughs> looking back, I'm very glad that I didn't win because uh, I don't think I would have survived my first job as principal child of a major orchestra. <laughs> yeah. It's just not my personality. <laughs> yeah. But then that was your first audition. And let me just clarify this. So everybody has to serve mandatory service for 18 months if you don't have a job or are in college in another country. Is that a way to go around that? Even if you have a job, you essentially have to commit to applying for a green card and you have to get it in order for you to avoid serving in the army. Okay. So that was my whole plan. Obviously, it didn't work out, granted, but 
it didn't work out. So why don't you share that with our audience? Cause nobody knows really what ended up happening. So you took the Nashville principal audition. You didn't get it, but you made the finals, mm-hmm. which is very impressive. What auditions did you take after that? And how did this kind of unfold? So I think I have a little more than a year before I had to go back to Korea and serve in the army. So I took a couple more. The next mm-hmm. audition was the associate principal of Milwaukee Symphony. Okay. And I was in the super final with one of the people was actually Nick Mariscal that when you interviewed. Oh, yes. And he ended up getting the job. So <laughs> good for him. Yeah. So that didn't work out. So you know what? Time's running out. So let me try a couple more. And at the time, I got an invitation from the Nashville Symphony that they would like to invite me for their second chair. Because okay. it was their second chair player who won the principal job the year before. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So I went back, played a good audition, I thought, and they named me as a runner-up, which is still, I was very grateful, but I didn't win the job. A month later, they called me, hey, we'd like to offer you a contract. And I was like, yes, you know, this is finally working out after how many years of being in this country and all that. And they were offering you a contract for the associate principal job. Correct. For the second chair. So had they done a trial with the person who was ahead of you and it didn't work out? Or do you know how that came to be? I don't know the exact details, but I think they were having some communication issues. Okay. I don't know the exact details, but the one I got to call it was March of 2020. Mm. And that's when the COVID started spreading throughout the country. Yes. And I knew my visa was running out, which meant that I have to you know, speak to a lawyer to figure out like, how can I legally stay in the country, right? Right. And we're trying to sort things out. And sometime after, I get this news that Nashville is shutting down the entire season. Oh, and the whole season. That moment, I, I'm sure you've heard about it, right? Yeah. So I knew that, you know what? This is not going to work out. I think this is time when everything shuts down. It's perfect time for me to go back to Korea and then serve in the army, get a new passport, and then you can just come back to the States without having any obligations. Wow. So you had to go serve your 18 months because of a global pandemic. Correct. So you go back to Korea and then what happened from there? I mean, how did you protect your hands? What did you do so that you wouldn't lose your chops for 18 months, let's say? To give you a whole background of the military story, I was already 29 when I went back to Korea after I finished my DMA degree. And I was not able to apply for a military band with strings. Obviously, that would have been perfect, right? Because you could still play the cello. Yeah. But just to begin with, there are only a few military bands with strings, and there has to be an opening even for you to try to audition. Mm -hmm. But there are also an age limit for those type of special duties. And I think it's because we have such a culture where the younger generation has to respect the older generation, both in gesture and the language. So given the nature of that, you give orders, you take orders, right? Mm-hmm. So you can imagine a 20-year-old staff search telling me what to do in a military tone would be quite uncomfortable and difficult <laughs> in my country. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So you're saying because of your age, you would quite possibly have a sergeant above you that was significantly younger than you. That was yeah. the, always the case. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> but thankfully, when I went to this place for basic training for six weeks, I was able to show off my musical skills and like explain, I played bass guitar in high school. Mm-hmm. So they had an electric bass guitar. So I played some chords and, you know, I jammed with them. I sang and like, you know what? This kid got something. So we're going to see if we can 
put him in a division where he can still play music. Yeah. Definitely not the cello, obviously, because I couldn't audition. For yeah. So I was placed in a army band with the choice given to me to play either trumpet, trombone, or sousaphone. Definitely not any <laughs> string instrument. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So you had a choice of three instruments. Of course you picked the sousaphone, right? Because that's so low, like the cello. What did you end up picking? I ended up picking the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most similar to cello, right? In the clef. And, yeah. In a way, yes. I didn't have to transpose. That was a big thing. Yeah. Do you have to transpose on the sousaphone? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Okay. So you picked the trombone, but you've never played the trombone before. I've never done it. That's, you know, in the Korean military saying, there's a saying that if you can do it, you still make it work. Okay. I mean, I guess that's universal. <laughs> How did you learn? We had some other players who actually came with some experience. We also had a Steph Surge who was well-trained as a trombone player. So I got some really good training in my first two months, and I was able to make the trombone sound. And it took me, I would say, about four or five months to really get comfortable with making sound and buzzing my lips, which was a difficult part for me. Did you feel like you were going to pass out at first from blowing all that air? Or was it more just a face-numbing experience? <laughs> Both. But I think <laughs> I was getting more of a headache because you blow out so much air in the you know, first 30 minutes and you already feel lightheaded and your head's spinning. And, and then you start building your muscles around your face. And it's just very different experience. And I would say I gained a lot of respect for brass players. Oh, good. Instead. That's good. Because a lot of times we just complain that they're too loud. <laughs> and so <laughs> have you played the trombone since then? Actually, I played the trombone past summer when I went to a festival. They really wanted to see me because they heard about the story about me being able to play the trombone. And so they always like, Ray, could you please play something? And I did. And I read some trio with other trombone players and they were like, you know what? You're actually not bad at all, right? For like, just learning how to play for like, 18 months and you sound really good for that. So I was pretty happy with that to hear. <laughs> yeah. I feel like what should be coming in the future is Ray playing trombone and cello duets with yourself on the split screen on YouTube, <laughs> play some duets, show off your skills on both sides. That's such an amazing story. So talk about when you were serving, what your responsibilities were as a trombone player in the military. Our main job was to actually boost the morale of the army, right? Okay. Soldiers. So given the situation of COVID back in 2020, 21, 22, we didn't have anything. Yeah. No events were nothing, right? So. Oh, gosh. I remember for six months, I was cutting down bamboo trees. Ah. We're moving them around. And I think literally, I'm not even kidding. I think we cut down bamboo trees of entire mountain. I mean, it was about a couple miles in length. Wow. And then, you know, obviously we're not given any chainsaw or anything. It was all hand job, right? It's manpower. <laughs> you don't do, you're not given any tools except for handsaw. So it was a saw you had to use to cut down the bamboo. What was the, the diameter or thickness of these bamboo trees? I would say those trees were definitely at least like 50 to hundred years old. So they were pretty gigantic. Wow. Okay. And how tall were they? Wow. That's a good question. As tall as you don't want to remember. I mean, it was very tall. So like, <laughs> if you try to pick up the bamboo tree, because you have to load them in the truck. Yeah. You cannot pick them up. It's so long. You will have to drag them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a three people's job. 
the drag. Wow. And I don't know if you know this. I know because my parents planted bamboo in their backyard thinking it was a great idea and they will shoot up everywhere. They spread like a weed and they can grow feet in a day. So I can imagine a 50 to 100 year old bamboo tree must have been pretty large to deal with. And they don't burn either. So we had to actually carry them away from where we could see actually to a place where it's not seen. Okay. So it was a lot of loading and loading and then dragging, cutting down for about six months. And then you finally got to get back to playing the trombone after that? Yeah, I mean, we still had to play trombone, right, during the day. Our daily routine was get to practice room about 9 a.m., practice until 11.30, get lunch from 1 to 4, you practice again. But, you know, obviously, with the given knowledge, you can't be playing trombone for five hours a day. It just doesn't work with your lips, right? Yeah. So sometimes I would have to teach music theory because they thought this guy has a DMA degree, so might as well have him conduct and teach these guys <laughs> basic music theory skills or rhythmic skills. Yeah. And I was just a second private, so... It was pretty crazy. Did you find enjoyment in any of this experience or did you just make the best of it? I think it's half and half, honestly. The worst thing was that cutting down a bamboo tree for six months because it was just really pointless. Yeah. But the fact that I was able to pick up an instrument at 29, still be able to play it and have fun. When you put together pieces with other instruments, we have woodwinds and brass with percussion of about 20 to 30 people. And then I felt like I was a beginner again, even though I had came with a DMA degree. It felt like, you know, I really love music. Yeah. So that was definitely worth it to learn a new instrument and be able to play on that new instrument, different pieces that I've never played in my life. Yeah, well, that's really great. So when you finished your service, you immediately came back to the U.S. And talk about what happened there. So I was actually still in the Army. I think it was actually last year in January, I called... Beyond Sang, my teacher at UT, and asked him, hey, I know it's past deadline and all that, but you think you could possibly make it work so I can come back as a student and do an artist diploma program so I can legally stay in the States and take auditions. And he was so willing and just willing to help me out on this. So I was very grateful for that. So I bought my ticket <laughs> to go back to Austin last fall. And I had just gotten out of the military in late March of last year. Okay. So it was not... Too long ago. Late March, not last year, but the year before then. Sorry, yeah, before, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, My sense of time is... Yeah, (laughs) I know, it's happened to all of us since the pandemic. So you came back and then you almost immediately, in that fall, is when the Atlanta audition happened, right? Yes, I believe it was September. Okay, and so you came back, you took that audition, and it took really until the end of our season last year, so May was when you came and did your trial week. We had three openings, so we had a lot of candidates come through, and you were actually the last person, and we chose you to fill the last opening that we had left. Obviously, it worked out really well after an amazing story. I'm not sure how many people have a story as interesting as that, having to go back and do mandatory military service and then come back. What would you say, obviously, you've been quite successful at this, making the finals in a number of occasions for title chairs. What would you say are the keys to playing a winning orchestra audition? To begin, actually, I don't think I'm a very good orchestra audition taker, in my opinion. (laughs) But that's because I have such a weak mentality that I often get into my own head. Yeah. And it's amazing to see there's so many fine cellists 
who have such an amazing facility on musical musical ideas. And often here they weren't feeling comfortable at the audition. And I think that's because, I mean, obviously there's only so much you can do on the cello, but I personally think that we don't do enough of preparing ourselves mentally for the audition. Mm-hmm. And this includes starting with your daily routine, how you want to start the morning of your big day, what you would eat. If there's a time zone difference, how do you deal with it? Right. Mm-hmm. Goes to what it's like to playing in that particular hall or ballroom. Yeah. Cause I've been there before <laughs> and how the sound would come back to you visually imagining the hall with the wall screen in front of you, you know, things like that. I think they're just as important as your preparation. Yeah. And it, it's not really talked about that often. Yeah, because there's so many people who play the cello so well, but figuring out the keys to a successful audition is what seems to hold a lot of people back because it's really a different skill even than sitting and playing in an orchestra. So you're saying that the mental preparation was the key to you feeling like you could be successful. Yeah, I think that's one side of the story. And obviously, I think the other important thing is, I'm sure people in your podcast have definitely talked about this. But whether you're already an established musician or student, I think playing for your friends or colleague is the best thing you could do. Mm-hmm. I used to feel very shy about playing excerpts for my friends without their honest input. I don't think I would have made this far. Yeah. And whenever you're playing for a different person, like different group of people, you get nervous each time. It's a different type of nervousness. Yep. And I think that's a good way to find out your risk management. For me, especially when I play solo excerpts, I tend to take a lot more risk. And sometimes it's great, other times not so much. Mm-hmm. And you find what works for you when you're willing to take that risk playing for people. Well, and how did you work on perfecting things like your intonation? Do you have a tip for that? We could talk about this for the next 30 minutes, but <laughs> I actually utilize a lot of drone in my practice room. Okay. A lot of drone trying to figure out when I need to use expressive intonation, when I need to use just equal temperament Uh or just intonation, depending on what your interval is. So I think it's important that you have to have a basic knowledge of musical theory to figure out what are you playing? What chord is outlining? What's your role in that? That sort of thing, along with metronome, obviously. So using a drone, can you talk a little bit more in detail about that? You would play a pitch and then would that pitch be the key that you're in or how would you decide what drone to use let's talk about basic examples maybe in the beethoven fifth symphony second movement so we're obviously in a flat major Mm -hmm. you know obviously you have to go for the perfect fourth and perfect fifth which has to be perfect yeah right there's no question about that but it really comes down to when you have to play a natural in the second measure i believe Uh uh-huh i mean the question is how do you tune to that when you have an a flat or d flat drone yeah right that's something that i think you have to think about musically given the tempo of the excerpt if it's slow and you try to raise it or lower it's going to be more evident as opposed to if the tempo is fast then it would be okay to place that even lower or higher to make it more expressive yeah and i think lynn harrell talks about it in one of his videos that when you play something really fast you just initially you have to play pitch a little higher because you're not giving cello enough time to speak. So eventually your pitch is going to be flat. So all those things, I think, obviously, you have to record yourself when you do it and see what really speaks to you. Yeah, and what sounds right. Musically speaking. Yeah. Absolutely. It's good. And what advice would you have for young students that are thinking about a career in music? I think you have to love what you do and ask yourself, hey, do you want to do this for the rest of your life? And as you can tell, I quit in the middle 
And I ended up coming back because I loved it so much. I could not imagine myself doing anything else but music. Yeah. But if you have a tenacious enough personality to stick with it, eventually you'll find your place somewhere. It's not guaranteed. As you know, it's a very competitive field. But I think you have to be really honest with yourself and get an idea of where you are in a, such a gigantic pool of musicians and be realistic. Yeah. Did you feel like music pulled you back or that you felt like you were missing something in your life? To be completely honest with you, Joel, I think I'm really bad at everything else. <laughs> well, I don't think that's true. But <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, my parents are not professional musicians, but music was always part of the family. Yeah. My dad was an amateur conductor and my mother wanted to be a professional pianist. But you can imagine in South Korea back in like 80s, music was not the most lucrative means to make a living. Yeah. So my grandparents were like, there's no way you're doing music. Do something that's more profitable. So I think I always had that sort of musical influence in my family growing up. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else we might have missed that you'd like to share with our audience? I think I just want to say a couple more things about if you're considering doing music for your career. If you stay with them, really work hard, then your opportunities will come along at some point. You know, you have to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. I'm a total believer of certain things happen for a reason in our life, even though it may not seem like that at the time. For me, that was a natural case when everything just shuts down. Yeah. I think you just keep your positive attitudes and just work really hard. Something will come to you eventually. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Thank you for having me, Joel. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Ray Kim for joining us today and sharing his story with us. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Cello Sherpa podcast. For more information on Ray and any of the links we spoke about today, check out our show notes by scrolling down on the episode. Be sure and catch our next episode where we interview violinist Robin Bollinger. Robin is the newly appointed concertmaster of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. We're here to serve you, so if you have questions or topic suggestions you would like us to cover in future episodes, please use the contact page on our website, thecellosherpa.com. You will also find information about the specific services we offer on the website. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. This helps us climb the rankings so other people can find us. Today's episode was edited by Eric Begay at Red House Productions and produced and recorded by me, Joel Dallow.